Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Tacticam. Tacticam is by far the easiest way to begin filming your hunts. Whether it's the budget-friendly Solo or the 4K 5.0, Tacticam has something for everyone. Check them out at Tacticam.com. And this would be the part of the intro where I say, we're also partnering with Spartan Forge. But on this podcast, it turns out we're talking Spartan Forge the entire time. Um, so you get the gist of what Spartan Forge is just basically from this uh, podcast. And if you're looking for it on the App Store, um, it's going to be back out. He said he's going to submit it again within the next seven days. Those people that are in right now, um, I had been harping on it all the past episodes. Get in, get in, get in. Um, and those were the people that are able to use the app right now. That's the beta. We talk about that on the podcast. Um, the code is still good. You can still use the code Bowhunter to save 25%. And once that comes back up, um, we'll figure out if it's like the base map where you have to go online and um, do it there. I'd imagine that it is. So um, with that, um, a couple housekeeping things. The quarterly giveaway, um, we are into October, new quarter. Uh, hunting seasons are kicked off. Uh, I actually had my first sit uh, tonight. Um, played daddy daycare for the weekend while my wife was away. And uh, finally got out, didn't see anything, but was able to implement a lot of the things that I saw, um, that I heard on this podcast uh, from guys that I talked to. Uh, felt really good. Um, basically, I'm running almost everything new this year. And uh, that's not to say that I haven't, um, you know, used climbing sticks and saddles and all that stuff before. Um, but the first couple sits are always. Um, you know, a learning curve. Where is everything? Is it, you know, right down to that, uh, that system? We're not all uh, Jake Bushes. Um, but uh, to that point, um, everything that we do here on the podcast is like, I'm learning with you, we're trying to implement it. And we are, you know, trying to create a community. And in that community is, uh, you know, our, our Patreon community, we've got the Facebook group, we have, uh, you know, Patreon messages and our Marco Polo group. And we've been going back and forth and we've had uh, a, a lot of deer sightings, a lot of ups and downs in there. And everybody's uh, having fun sharing all of that. And uh, we've got some new Patreons this month uh, for over the past week. And uh, so let's welcome Alex Dodds out of uh, Emmett's. Berg, Iowa, it looks like, uh, Brian Whitaker, Anderson, Indiana, Ian Brotland, Pierce City, Missouri, and Cassie Flannery out of Mercer, PA. So that is incredible. And I'm sitting here in my half-built studio in my basement, and uh, I have a map that I'm going to put up uh, with little pins for everywhere that the Patreons are, because it just continues to blow us away, um, you know, for the support that you guys have for us and for the show. And, you know, we can't thank you enough, uh, but we certainly try in conjunction with our partners to do, you know, giveaways and, you know, to, to give back as much as we can. Um, you know, those Patreon dollars help with hosting, with editing, uh, with the website, um, with, you know, trying all of this new gear with having stuff to, to show, to, to allow, to have firsthand experience with, um, these 
product so that we're not just on here going, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds cool. That sounds like a great idea. Um, you know, we're out there. We're trying. Uh, we're trying to get it in your hands. And, um, you know, we can't thank you enough. So we do these quarterly giveaways. Um, this quarterly giveaway I'm going to draw next Monday. So I'll go live on Instagram and we'll do that. Edwin, I know you're going to message me every single day until Monday. Uh, when did you win? When did you win? When did you win? I get it. Um, these things take time. I need time. So, um, so for that, um, you know, we're giving away that full saddle package and everything Spartan Forge base map, um, Zinger Fletchings, all of those guys, um, have got things now for this quarter coming up, I don't have anything set up. So what I need from you guys is for you to tell me, um, message me through messenger, uh, Facebook, Instagram, like whatever. Um, some things that, that you'd like to, to try that you'd like to get your hands on. Um, you know, some things that maybe you've been putting off, uh, purchasing, and um, so some of the things that have come up are the packs, and uh, we may end up having to do a podcast on on packs um, for the different ones. Um, I'm running the Plateau Pack. John's got the Case Pack, both by Trophy Line, and he's got an Everly X2. So um, for those, um, you know, we can certainly, you know, put together something for uh, for you guys for, for some of those and then some, uh, releases. So that's been on there too. And I, I've thought about that and going into the fourth quarter is weird because we're transitioning, you know, by the time that that ends up, that's going to be January 1st. So we're going to be into winter. So what is it that you need over the winter? Uh, trying out a new release is probably a good, good thing for that. But anyways, um, shoot me a message, see what you guys, you know, what can we help you out with? Um, you know, we're here, um, as a resource for you guys, the listener. And as always, if you want to hear from somebody uh, on the podcast or hear about products or anything, um, get a hold of us, let us know. We're always looking for new guests. Um, with that, this podcast was a long time coming and I feel like this is like what people have been wanting. These are the questions that I've been fielding for quite some time, um, about Spartan Forge, it seems like a great idea, um, but how does it work? Why does it work? What does you know machine learning for the deer woods? What does what does this machine do? And uh, I really wanted to call this uh, podcast "How to Kill Chuck Liddell" because uh, that's the analogy that Bill uses throughout this whole thing, and we kind of stick to that. Um, but I think it breaks it down in very good layman's terms of how to. Um, view this from an everyday standpoint. And it's also utterly, completely, and 100% terrifying uh, to think that if they're doing this for deer and Bill was doing this for, you know, bad guys, and he even alludes to it a little bit in here that, you know, by having our cell phones that these guys are uh, able to track all of your uh, tendencies, everything you do with your phone, what time you look at things, all that, like down to the day of the month of the year. Um, so, but it, but it puts it in layman's terms. And so I think this is going to help out a lot of people that have questions about Spartan Forge. I think that this is, um, the most complete explanation in terms that we can understand about, um, Spartan Forge itself. So, um, with all that, we can't thank you enough. Thank you to everybody that's listening. 
And, um, you know, as always, if you want to check out the Patreon, if you want to uh, be entered to win any of that stuff, um, go ahead and sign up at patreon.com forward slash Borner Chronicles podcast, or you can check it out on our website, Instagram, all of that. You know, you just click the Patreon tab and, and get signed up and it really helps us. And we, you know, can't thank you enough for that. Um, but this podcast comes from questions from the patreons from people um that have had questions about spartan forge and you guys are really gonna like it i appreciate every single one of you thanks for listening hey everybody adam back with another episode of the bowhunter chronicles podcast and i gotta tell you i am probably as excited as i've been for any product to launch and to get to talk to the guy that's behind it again. I mean, I've been chasing this guy for six months here. Um, we've got this on a, a, a Zoom podcast also. Um, I'm currently in the process of building my basement studio, uh, much like uh, Taylor Chamberlain's. And uh, on this uh, uh, podcast, we've got uh, Bill Thompson from Spartan Forge to go through um, everything Spartan Forge and where they're at to this point, and more importantly, where it's going. Um, but I would point you to Bill's Hanging Hunt podcast uh, with Taylor and Billy, only to say this is they made him stand up for an hour and a half, um, and I am building this studio to accommodate three chairs, Bill. So when you come through Western Michigan, I will have a seat for you. So God bless you. <laughs> I, I could not it. believe that. Yeah, they uh, are real narcissists over there. They just, I was like, are you guys, am I standing up the whole time? I'm like, yeah, you are. I'm like, okay, I guess yeah. we'll do this. Yeah. And, you know, with yeah. Taylor's humor and the way that Billy feeds him, um, it's, it was, it was perfect. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 those two are hilarious. And they're, and they're not only a part and parcel on the podcast. <clears throat> I hunt with them whenever I head to DC. And uh, I was just out there a couple of weeks ago and they're just at the hip together. When we go hunting, whenever we go and eat barbecue or someplace, they're together all the time. Those guys are thick as thieves. And when you get to drink with them, they're uh, <laughs> a whole nother yeah. animal. <laughs> Taylor and I keep saying we're going to slug some brown water, but we I've known him for about a year now and we haven't done it. We've hunted together many times, hung out together a few times, but never gotten to... Um, to kick back and have a few, but I suppose it's, it's on the way. Well, careful what you wish for. I'll just, I'll warn you. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. So uh, believe it. in this, um, this crazy time, Bill, um, of everything that's, that's going on with, uh, you know, the, the state of the world and, you know, your life has been like literally turned upside down and your, launching something that's never been done before and people don't understand. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, kind of an unbelievable situation for you to be in. How are you handling all this? How are you doing now? Uh, I'm drinking. <laughs> I'm doing, I'm just joking. I'm doing well. Uh, it's been a crazy couple of months. Um, we were developing the application for a release and then in Spartan Forge, my chief of operations, his father um, passed from COVID um, a couple of months ago. And so, you know, losing him was, it's essentially like, you know, losing your offensive coordinator on a football team. It's just, you know, irreplaceable. he can't be replaced. And, and then he went away, which, you know, moved our development timeline to the left. And then, um, as soon as he got back, not even a couple of days after he got back, my mother got hospitalized. 
So I went out to North Dakota to take care of that. While I was out processing the military, while I was trying to stand up a marketing campaign, while I was trying to finish the development of the application. And uh, so I went home, my mother passed, came back here. And now at that point, we've been moved like, you know, almost a month to the left. And, you know, deer season doesn't wait for anyone. So we knew we still needed to get something out of the door. So that's uh, kind of where we are today um, with uh, Spartan Forge. But I think we're in a good place. Um, we just, you know, we can get into this later, but we just released the beta um, with a, a couple minor problems, but albeit pretty successful as far as application, small business application launch is concerned. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. And uh, I've got about uh, 10 days of vacation coming up where I'll be going to uh, go hunt uh, some stags in Scotland um, with my girlfriend. So take a few days off before the end of October and then I get in the full swing with, you know, a bunch of stuff that we've got going on. But I mean, I can't complain. Life is good. And, uh, just I'm as busy as I've ever been in my life. And I'm saying that as a guy, who, you know, who's, you know, been a military officer for 21 years and deployed more times than I can count, but never been this busy before, but I'm, it's good. Well, I'm glad that you were able to, to say that. Cause I don't know that anybody like on a broad scope is really understood like what is going on um, because everybody was like, well, September 1st. And then you went to launch the app and then Apple was like, Oh, that's really nice. Like I'm, I'm glad that yeah. you had a date that you were thinking about, but uh, we don't, that was insane. So yeah, that was insane. We submitted to them the first time we submitted to Google and or to I or Android. And I think we had approval in an hour. Like, I think it was an hour, maybe two hours, we had approval. And then we went to Apple <clears throat> and they, they took three days and they got back to us. And I don't even think they had looked at our code. They basically came back and said, the fonts, like, you know how when you type in an app and you swipe through the pictures? They had guidelines that they had updated shortly after we submitted about how they wanted the fonts changed. So they waited three days after we sent them the app. They came back to us and said, hey, you need to change these fonts. And the size of these things, these pictures, like, okay. So we changed all those like really quickly. Um, maybe a couple hours resubmitted, came back to us three days later and we're, and they're supposed to get back to you in 24 hours. So they get back to us three days later and they're like, Hey, you need to update this privacy policy. Like you need to let the user know better. Like what you're, you're doing here. And we're like, yeah, we have that right here in this line. Like right here is the string that explains what a user sees when they click the GPS button. And they're like, oh, our bad. And then they approved the app. And then they approved the app and we're looking in the app and we're like, oh, this is an older version. We need to re-update again. So we send it back to them. They had gotten back to me and said, uh, the privacy thing is no good. And we're like, no, we just went over this. We told you guys. And this developer or this approver at Apple is like, well, I don't care. It's not good. Fix it. So we're like, okay, we're fixing this now. So we took it back and fixed it, resubmitted. And then it sat for like four days and no one got back to us. So finally I started calling there and um, was able to put in a request over the phone to get someone to expedite to look at it. They looked at it, and then they told us to fix, refix some stuff that we'd done earlier. So it was like this back and forth, and it was just, and on top of that, like I, I won't get into it because it's kind of complaining, but they're just not a hand, they're not an easy store to work with. It's just not, they're not there's nothing simple about working with Apple. Um, it was far easier getting everything done through um, Android, Every, all the documentation and the way it, gets, it was just much easier. But anyway, yeah, it was, it was crazy. It was insane. 
Well, yeah, and like I said, I I just I appreciate like you being able to talk about it and say like this is what's going on because you know uh, I don't know for for everything that deer hunters are uh, I feel like patient isn't one of them, and that's almost like oxymoronical or whatever is like it is you know yeah. it's like they want the easy button and like spartan forge i think is what a lot of people see as like that easy button right yeah yeah i mean it is i i, I should say there are a lot of people especially that we've been interacting with who are very patient and, and understand what like the purpose of the beta is and what they're doing when they're testing a beta but there there's some people who just straight up didn't get it and you know you're getting like crazy email messages like refund me right now and just like <laughs> this insane stuff that people write in emails whenever they're dealing with a company and we're like all right yeah no problem buddy we'll, we'll take care of you so i think that subsets in any community though it's not i don't think it's unique to hunting i think those people exist everywhere um and you know when you're selling a product you just got to deal with it but um yeah certainly people don't like to wait around in this community but hey that's the market and that's how it goes so i react to it and try to serve it the best i can because um it is the market i love and it's where i want it's where i'm working and it's where i want to continue to be working so i'm, I'm happy to be here and so for um all of that is for the people who know what the hell spartan forge is um so uh for those people that are maybe late to the party they've heard it on the intro they've seen uh the stuff you know, that's been shared or, or whatever. Um, walk us through like kind of what happened, um, you know, with having the website and what was on there and then, you know, what the app is and, and, and you know, what it is at this point. Yeah. So um, it's Spartan Forge started just, you know, there's other podcasts. I think, in fact, you and I did one of our first, po- my first podcast ever on the vials together. Um, where we go into like a much deeper discussion about all of that backstory. But very quickly, um, you know, I worked for 21 years in the military doing targeting. And t- targeting in the cyber age has become very difficult because anyone with a computer basically has a comparable amount of power as a nation state actor 50 years ago. You know, you can s- shut down a whole banking system, um, you know, sitting in your pajamas sipping some coffee. Um, and that's not been something anyone could do until recently. So what the military had to do is get really good at targeting and get really good at finding and making sense of large amounts of information. And that's kind of where I, that during that evolution of the military is kind of when I was serving. So I'd gone, I'd gone from doing like more tactical work, boots on the ground stuff, um, participating in operations, you know, um, multiple deployments to Iraq, Afghanistan, um, Africa, the Philippines, most people don't even know we were in combat in the Philippines. I say that every time just because it's kind of like the unsung war of the global war on terrorism, but first special forces group has been sending men down there and third radio battalion <clears throat> for many years. So, um, I always mention that, but, uh, we had to make, be, we had to be able to make sure, sense of a lot of data very quickly and in a rigorous way that made sense. And, Artificial intelligence is kind of the only way to do that in the cyberspace domain <clears throat> because you're getting tons of information and you have to be able to make a snap judgment and say, yes, this is the right call and this is what we're going to do. So that was kind of my career was um, in the cyber don- domain was how do we kind of construct the payload, the access and the platform for the cyber, for the cyber warfare or for the cyber force 
both in like a strategic, in other words, like, you know, back home, but also in a tactical capacity. So that was like the last 10 years of my career. And that's a targeting problem, essentially. Like when you boil it down all down to first principles, that's a targeting problem. And targeting problem is the same type of problem that a hunter has. It's a targeting problem, right? Like I have a goal, which is a deer or deer. And um, the job of a targeteer and of an operator is to identify all of the um, uh, all the pieces of information that need to be accounted for so you can make the best decision possible. And so whenever you are accounting for all of those variables and you're trying to make your decision, people do it in different ways. <clears throat> but um, in the military, we really structured um, this process. One of the th processes that they came up with, which is pretty handy, is what's something called the military decision-making process, MDMP. Um, and it just basically like, you know, what's the, what is the mission? What's the goal? What do we have on hand? What do we need? What's the Delta? Do we do the mission? That type of stuff. <clears throat> and, um, Spartan Forge was kind of born out of, you know, sitting on the side of a mountain in Afghanistan. Um, we were getting ready to test a product, um, that was being developed by a contractor for some signals intelligence work. And it occurred to me that this would be the work that we are doing here would be very, very beneficial to a hunter. Um, and I can't get into what that work was, but it, suffice to say, some of it is in Spartan Forge right now. I'm not saying I took the work and moved it in here, but um, as we were developing and testing and finding fixes and getting the bugs out of that program, a lot of those thoughts, I, those targeting problems were moved into Spartan Forge. So basically the targeting cycle for the hunter is like understanding, you know, the woods that he or she is hunting in, um, you know, what are the tendencies of the animals in that area? What are the foods that they feed on? What are their historic behaviors under certain conditions? <clears throat> how do they make themselves vulnerable? How, you know, how do they account for vulnerability? What are all of this? What's like the composite picture of everything that goes into this decision-making process? And so what Spartan Forge is doing uh, was we started first by answering the mail on getting some uh, collared deer data. And I say some, we're up to a, almost 2000 years of it now. Um, <clears throat> so if you were to, so when a deer wears a collar, say it, say you dart a deer, you put a collar on it, wears it for a year, the collar falls off or they get it a year later. That's one year of deer data. We've got about 2000 years of that now, um, spanning from, you know, Western Canada all the way down to Florida <clears throat> and up into, um, you know, New York and uh, Connecticut. And everywhere in between, most places in between. So we take all that collar deer data and we um, feed the system uh, weather data. Um, we feed it uh, mapping data, topography, um, different types of vegetative cover data, all of that stuff. <clears throat> and the machine basically gets to observe how deer move. And then it picks out patterns in that movement and basically says, you know, you could, it's not, this is not how it works whatsoever, but it serves as a good analogy. And it's basically, well, I noticed deer in this area move most between these two temperatures when the wind is coming from this direction. <laughs> you know, when it's been this many days after a storm front or before a storm front, and they tend to be at this altitude in this area, and then they, they, they move here in winter here, and they go to the spring here. The machine picks out all of those patterns. And when you give it, you know, at this point, probably getting close to billions of data points. Um, it gets patterns out. So a way to think about this, and I was actually just trying to explain this to somebody online the other day, was 
<clears throat> say you were to take a bunch of humans and collar them or or give them a cell phone that tracks their location at any time, right? And uh, and and say you're a gym owner and you're trying to figure out when do people in what areas use the gym most. So you could look at these this these phones and these sensors, and then you could map out where the gyms are, right? Like getting the mapping data, find out where the gyms are, and then you give it weather, historical weather. And then you 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 know feed all of that information. Let's just say it's Michigan, and then the maybe the what the machine observes is. When the temperature starts getting below 50 degrees in this part of Michigan, gym membership goes up and people start visiting gyms more. And um, when the wind velocity, if the maybe maybe there's a wind chill factor that the machine sees as well, like maybe it can be 55, but if the wind is over 25 miles an hour, you get the same influx of people into a gym. So that's learned two things about when people generally go to the gym. And then the machine might say, when it starts to snow, you know, that's another thing. And then when you get all three of those things together, now you see tons more people in the gym than you've ever seen in the gym. Um, th those are all of the different types of lessons that a machine can take millions upon millions of data points. And you plug those into a machine and it comes out with those patterns and it can project those patterns on future state. So all of those machine, um, all of those, all of that machine data, all of that um, mind data <clears throat> is what we take from these collar deer deer studies and it gets projected against this weather. And then the machine recognizes those patterns and then it projects them on future states and says, and then we can actually measure it. And how we measure it is we get new collared deer data that we've never seen before ever. And we essentially project on that forecast and say, okay, we've got a pretty good idea that when the temperature is like this, you're going to see pronounced, um, deer movement in, in, in comparison to when the weather is like this. <clears throat> and so what we do at Spartan Forge is we, we bend that in three buckets right now. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and the buckets are essentially, we break down and most biologists do it this way too, but essentially the deer has three parts to their range and their range is basically, if you were to take all the GPS data points for a year um, and plot them on a map, that would be the that'd be the full range of the deer. That'd be the full range, and then there's two other ranges that they find themselves in, which is their core area, which is their bedding area. It's the place where they feel safest, and um, <clears throat> that's generally where they spend daylight hours. Being crepus crepuscular animals, that's where they're spending their daylight hours. And then you have transition, and that's the that, those are the areas in between the destination and the bed. So you can think of that as like a scrape line from bedding to a field that a buck might work or a rub line or a staging area for doe. Can you, can you use that in turn? Cause the, I think the gym analogy is like one of the most uh, like very like something that you can see in your mind. Um, so can you use that core area yep. transition area? Yep. Per yep. Perfect. <clears throat> Sorry. I keep pausing. I don't know why. It seems like I've been talking all day. So I'm losing my voice, but um <clears throat> essentially uh so let's say we're hunting you know chuck liddell <clears throat> and chuck liddell you know everyone around chuck liddell and his team and everyone we've collared them and we have a general idea of how they move well <clears throat> if the machine is predicting core area for movement for chuck liddell on a particular day what that basically means is during the hunt hunting hours when it's ethical to hunt a buck or in this case chuck liddell um, you're you're gonna have to be in his home area in order to get on top of him. In other words, you need to be in his yard, 
looking in a window, <clears throat> like you got to kill him in his bedroom, basically, or his kitchen or walking out, the, popping out the front door, maybe at last light. <clears throat> and then the transition area would be, okay, now you're going to here. You could probably kill him on the way to work. So maybe this is a day where he is, um, you know, leaving and it's favorable when he's leaving work, he's coming back home and it's during, you know, ethical hunting hours. So now you can pop him in the cap on the side of the highway or something like that. So you're not hitting him at his destination, which might be the gym, you know, his, his workplace or, you know, say a place that he frequents a restaurant or something wouldn't be destination, but it would be in between destination and the core area. And that's the transition area. So you can think about that as the routes in between destination and his home. And then full range basically says, all right, now you, he could be anywhere during hunting hours, which means he could be in his gym. He could be at home. He could be in transition. <clears throat> but wherever he is, he's going to be moving a lot. In other words, um, for hunters, it's especially useful because they, you know, movement is what catches our eye more than anything. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a buck bedding area, gotten up as quietly as I could. I'm sitting on stand. I'm scouring the terrain looking for something. And it's not until that deer stands up and he's like 40 yards away. And I'm like, holy crap, this deer been, has been there the whole time. And I had no idea because it just takes that movement. So what the full range prediction is basically saying is he could be found anywhere in his range and he's going to be moving plenty um, and, and over long distances. So that makes, you know, when you think about it as a, uh, when you think about that as a, uh, what would you say? He's, um, he's making himself vulnerable by, by doing all of that. The vulnerability index has gone up and we call that full range. So, um, yeah, so basically I think I had broken it down, but, um, I gotten to the point where basically the core area is the home. That's like where he feels the safest. And the prediction is basically telling you that if you want to be able to kill this animal during hunt hunting, ethical hunting hours, you're going to need to get in the bedroom area in order to get a look at him or her. <clears throat> and then the transition area is basically, all right, there's a good chance Chuck could be outside of it, right? Because it's much more difficult to hunt an animal in its bed. Just like it would be much more difficult to kill Chuck Liddell inside of his own house than it would be like on his territory than it would be, you know, for you to pop him in the noggin whenever he's leaving in his car, right, along the highway. If you could set up somewhere along the highway, right, then you might have a better shot. And then full range would be like, you can kill this guy pretty much anywhere you want to this day. He's going to be all over the place. So the machine, we've tested the machine. Like, I'll keep this analogy going. You know, we had a... um we, t we collared a ton of UFC fighters and we got their GPS data every day of the week for 2000 years is how long we have this data for. So you can think about that. People, you can, when you have a, a device on someone for that long, and th th there are studies that have been done with this on how people use social media, <clears throat> you'll be able to draw patterns that they didn't even know they had, which is like um, on Thursdays, you're always Googling recipes before you go to bed at 9 p.m. And people are like, huh, I know I Google recipes, but I didn't realize I always do it on Thursdays. Like, I guess that makes sense because I usually see my grandmother on Thursdays. Huh, weird. I didn't know that, right? And that, there's studies where they do this with people. They draw patterns out. And the machine is doing the same thing. It's drawing patterns out from this data. And essentially what I think it's doing and what we are trying to do is is digitally recreate the evolutionary reasoning system that a buck or a deer has. So they come to the world with certain 
tendencies no matter what. Just like we have a tendency to get goosebumps if we get cold or to jump if we see a snake. Like that happens at a very low level in the brain, like the lizard part of the brain. And everybody comes programmed with that. Everyone reacts the same way to certain um, uh, environmental factors. And animals are no different in that they have um, tendencies that are programmed from birth. And like one to speak of with like a buck is <clears throat> to feed voraciously until they have enough fat content to perform during the rut. In other words, a buck's got to get his fat up to a certain level so that he can rut or he'll, they will, if they don't get fat enough pri prior to the rut, they can rut themselves to death. They'll just keep running until they fall over from exhaustion because they didn't have enough body fat. They weren't carrying enough water in that body fat to see them through the rut. So the machine can look at these things and basically make inferences about when deer need to be feeding, when they are getting close to rutting, when they are now recuperating fat losses. And they can look at prior weather states that are either conducive or not conducive to feeding and then make judgments about the future and when deer will be moving. So, you know, when people start coming up with these rules where it's like, look, if the pressure is rising and the temperature is falling, I go hunt. And my response to that, having looked at the data would be like, yeah, that's good about 30% of the time. That's a good rule. But a better rule would be when the pressure is rising and the temperature is falling and there's been three other really crappy weather days right before that, then you have even a better situation for deer movement. In other words, you have to, you have to think about every day before and look at all of the factors every day before, um, before you can make a decision about this day. So you will use the Chuck Liddell um, uh, analogy again. So you could say, I looked at, you know, three years of data and Chuck Liddell never goes to the gym on Sunday. So he always stays home. And then you're like, well, I guess I'm not going to hunt this Sunday. But then the neural network might say, you need to be hunting Sunday. Chuck Liddell is going to be in his full range. And you're like, well, that can't be. He never hunts Sundays. It's just not the case. But then you look and see, or you were to, maybe you ask the machine for uh, uh, a priority list of why it's making that um, inference, which you can't always do, but sometimes you can. And then you pick up that, oh, the gym was closed three days that week. Um, and he was home those days. In other words, it wasn't favorable to go to the place that he normally goes to. So now, even though there's a state where he would never go there, he's going on Sunday. Does that make sense? Oh, I, I, I absolutely love um, this analogy because, like, when you talked about the weather patterns intersecting in Michigan and for people going to the gym, like, when I think about that full range, it didn't really make any sense to me. Um, like, how do you know that a deer could – I mean, to me, that just means that they could just be anywhere. Just as my father-in-law's uncle Frank would say, like deer are doing deer shit, right? That, that's what they do, yeah. right? But in that terms would be like in the same analogy about going to the gym and the weather in Michigan is like on a sunny day in Michigan in the summer, a person could be doing any number of things because that's the best time to be out and about. So, but on a really shitty day, you're just going to be sitting in your house or you're going to be going to the gym and that would be based on all of those patterns i'm, I'm understanding this correctly right yeah yeah and so yeah what i'm saying the and the part i was trying to nail home there is <clears throat> you can't look at a day and make a judgment on what movement's going to be just based on that day 
<clears throat> the system is looking at 30 years of prior weather data before it's making a decision about one day. So in other words, it's gathering all of those things and it's, and it's saying, you know, <clears throat> someone will look at the prediction and be like, ah, I don't believe today's going to be a full range day. And it's like, well, did you consider the seven or eight, nine, 10 days of feeding? What was the feeding availability for that deer up to that point? Maybe there were three storms there and you have normally what would be a norm, a mediocre day for movement, but because there's been all of those storms, you know, for the past three months that has not allowed that deer to get as much fat on their stomach as they normally want to by the time rut comes around or for a doe when it's time to drop fawns and start, you know, producing milk, they will now risk their neck and go out and feed on days they normally wouldn't because their set of situations, the set of circumstances that have led up to that point. So another, uh, maybe another, um, uh, you know, Chuck Liddell analogy would be, uh, he's been traveling in Europe for a week and he hasn't been able to go to his gym and he doesn't usually go to his gym at 5 AM on a Sunday, but now he is because all everything leading up to that day has made it. So he's doing something he wouldn't normally do. And when you're talking about, you know, almost billions of data points, only a machine could pick all of those patterns out. And it's not even obvious that the machines are seeing patterns that a human could even understand because computationally they're so insane and large. And so that's essentially what this neural network is doing is it's deriving all of those patterns out. And we know that it, it, we, we, we know how well it works because <clears throat> you can think about it this way. I get so much data on, you know, Chuck Liddell and his whole crew having, you know, getting all the GPS information off their phones. <clears throat> now I can start making predictions about, hey, I, you know, I think Chuck Liddell is going to go. He, he eats at Applebee's every third Sunday. And someone like, how would you know that? It's like, well, about 60% of the time last year, he would head there for Thursday night football. He doesn't do it every time, but he generally does it when he doesn't see his buddies during the week. It just so happens this week, he hasn't seen his buddies on Monday or Wednesday when he normally sees them. So we think if you want to kill Chuck Liddell, a good place to do it is going to be the Chili's. Um, because we've noticed in the past, over the past you know seven years that we've been collecting data, that he will show up there every once in a while when he hasn't seen his buddies and, 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 and when his wife is out of town, when his kids are at camp. It just so happens that his kids are in camp, his wife's out of town, he didn't get to see his buddies on Monday or Wednesday. <clears throat> and by God, uh, you know, it's two ninety nine. All you can eat wings at the at the Applebee's, and it's Thursday night football. So now the machine is, and that you know, I'm talking about seven di seven different use cases that are putting Chuck Liddell in the Applebee's. The machine is seeing millions and millions and millions of permutations and possibilities, and it's making a call um, with far more information than a human could uh, make a call with. And uh, that's essentially how it's making these predictions. What I'm learning from this, and I'm I'm chuckling to myself here, is uh, that Bill is a scary motherfucker. Like if he was, if he was like trying to figure out, like, all right, if he if he has like a vendetta against you, um, geez. Uh, I've worked with some scary motherfuckers. I wouldn't say I am a scary. I've pointed out some doors for some scary motherfuckers. <laughs> Um, I'm not generally a scary, I guess it depends on what your uh, definition of scary is, but, um, I would say I've worked with some scary motherfuckers, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's insane. And, and the accuracy is really good. And we test the accuracy all the time because we have access to live deer data. Like I have access to Pennsylvania deer data right now where I can, 
I can go on and there's like 70 deer that are wearing collars right now and I can see how they've been moving and I can look at how my machine evaluates how they would be moving and I can actually see it play out. And, and, and we're, you know, we do, we're doing quite well right now. We're up in the, you know, getting near 70% prediction, which I think is about as high as we're going to get for general deer movement. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, that kind of leads us where we are today with all the other features in the app that we're bringing in together. So uh, I, we have a lot of listeners in, in Pennsylvania. As the app progresses, what tier is it where you just get to give out the locations of those 70 deer? Um, yeah, that's when you have to develop a target package on me and come and find me and kill me and then take the password to that <laughs> database. That'd be about the only way that you can do it. We spent a lot of time forming those relationships and all of these academics that we get deer data from. That's like one of their things is we don't want this data to become public for people to... Um, uh, you know, be able to use this to go and hunt deer that might be wearing collars because, you know, some of those deer are, close, are trophy class animals, you know. <clears throat> I think two of these deer up in Pennsylvania are <clears throat> at least 150 inch deer. So it's quite interesting being able to see their um, their movement tendencies and where they're spending their daylight hours. And it's just like, you know, sometimes it makes sense and sometimes you're just like, I got to get in there and see what the heck is going on. So this is a, a tangential question but so are those deer in areas that could be hunted and then what would be the ramifications if a user of your app were to by happenstance shoot one of those deer well i mean they would never have gotten the information from us so i mean i don't think there would be any issues if they were accidentally not accidentally if they were to you know shoot one of those deer i don't think there would be it would be you know you have to be a world-class hacker to get a hold of the information that we have um, and the way that we've stored the data, it's just, it would be impossibly difficult. It would be more, it would be the amount of time and effort that you'd have to put into getting that data. You'd be better off spending 10 grand to go shoot one in Iowa. But that isn't a, uh, clickbait type headline, right? Spartan oh, Forge <laughs> user kills Spartan Forge track yeah, deer, right? That's right. Yeah. So that's probably true. I mean, it doesn't cost any money to throw out accusations and make inferences oh absolutely not i've learned that all too well over the past few days <laughs> so uh, going back to like what we are talking about here um on that um you know so both from w- what we had started with on the computer to uh, what we have on the app um is is much more but it also talks about uh not only um the you know we kind of covered very well uh core area both for uh deer and uh chocolate dell uh yep. ufc fighters in their entourage uh patterns so you yeah. have you know regular pattern uh, i guess what are the what are the patterns uh, the terminology we define them as normal normal abnormal and, and very abnormal and i can continue with the chocolate dell um <laughs> analogy if you'd like me to well, that's fine, but like, so I guess the main question, what I've got here from like our a group of uh, you know people that are using the the beta app now, and uh, you know that have written in, they want to know like when is the best time to kill that deer or uh, Chuck Liddell? Is it on the very abnormal pattern is a better day? Is it a very abnormal pattern on full range? Very abnormal, you know? Yeah. So, so I, I encourage, so 
I, I, there's a couple of ways to answer this question. The, on the on the full range or the transition area or core area prediction, that kind of gets down to your comfortability. So like for myself, I hunt a lot of bedding areas because I hunt exclusively public land. So every time I'm hunting, I'm trying to get into a bedding area. So for me, the prediction kind of just helps my confidence in that if I have a full range or a transition area day when I'm in bedding, then I expect to see movement in that area no matter what. But if it's a core area day and I'm going in to, to hunt core area, then I'm fine with that because that's where I'm hunting deer is in their core area. Well, I guess one of the um, ways that I would use it, put it this way, say you have some bait stations or some shop plots on your property, but the deer don't bet on your property. Okay. They're betting across the road. <clears throat> I would only hunt that property in that, in that particular instance on a full range day. Because basically the deer are going to be getting out earlier. They're going to be moving earlier and they're moving more often. Right. And so that's when I would be hunting a full range day, because if you're hunting core air, if you're getting a core area prediction on an area that you hunt where the deer don't bed, then all you're going to be doing is educating those deer that a human was on stand at some point, because they're going to be coming in after you're gone and they're going to be leaving before you get in in the morning. You know what I'm saying? So all they're going to be doing is smelling you. Whereas if you're wait to wait for a full range day or they might be walking to that field at 3 p.m. instead of, you know, 10 minutes before sundown uh, on those full range days, you're much more likely to encounter those deer during ethical daylight hours. So those are like two ways that you can use the movement portion, which is basically. If you have if you're hunting bedding, then the prediction should just be telling you how much movement you should expect when you're in there hunting bedding. If you're hunting transition or you're hunting full range <clears throat> um, days, then you may want to focus on places where <clears throat> you don't have access to them in their beds or you need them to be coming to like, if you hunt plot, like a food plot or something like that, where you generally are only seeing night movement, leave that place alone for a week or two until you get a full range prediction and then go and sit that plot on a full range prediction and you'll get deer coming into it because you've taking the pressure off. Now you're allowing them to come from their bedding to that area. <clears throat> the more and more you hunt that area, when the deer are staying in their bed during daylight hours, you're just educating them and letting them know that, Hey, just come here in the dark. Right. So in that core area, um, that to me almost sounds like a day where you would want to be, you know, uh, realistically speaking, more aggressive. So, Let's, Absolutely. let's say you know where there's a buck that's bedded it's a core area day you want to be right on top of them because other than that you're not going to you know you're not going to catch him between bed and yep. food really yeah chuck's not leaving the house <clears throat> and so what how does the pattern uh fall sure. into that perfect so i can continue with the analogy if you'd like and then i can explain it in gear terms yep <laughs> so the pattern goes like this you know, uh, Chuck Liddell, it's a, it's a Monday morning and he's traveling to his gym. Okay. Um, there is the, four, there is the major interstate. We'll just call it, you know, interstate 100. And then there's County road, you know, 10 and there's, and there's, you know, neighborhood roads, right. In three different ways generally to get to that spot. Okay. And so 
for Chuck, it's like if the highway is, if he's traveling between, let's just say seven and nine o'clock, he doesn't take the highway because it's always jam packed. And the county road's generally not good either. So now he's going through the neighborhood. So on days where he's traveling between seven and nine, that's his route. But if he gets out of the house before seven, he uses the highway because the highway is not congested at that point. Right. And then, but when he's coming home from there, he uses the county road because the highway is always locked down. And now the neighborhood is too slow at that time of night, something, whatever you want to think of the reason. So you've got three different ways that this person gets there and they're dependent on traffic. For deer, it's generally, there's two things that highly drive the pattern of movement. And that's thermal generation, which is like the sun warming the ground and moving air, which allows bucks and deer to smell things that are not downwind of them. And then wind direction. So now let's call, let's, let's say we have a buck now instead of Chuck Liddell. And the machine is, so you're feeding it collar deer data. And the machine sees, all right, this buck is always bedding in this in this core area up on this leeward ridge. Um, and he is destination generally is this field or this plot down here, this cornfield at and he only hits it at night, right? Well, when there's a when there's a north wind, he just cuts it straight off. He just goes if the wind is heading north, he just goes straight through here. And the majority of the time in this area, it's a north wind, which you can see in the app. When you're using the app and you type an area in, you can get a polar plot. And it tells you what the majority of the time the wind is. <clears throat> so let's just say for this area, 60% of the time it's a north to northeast wind. So what that buck does for a path is it goes like this, just straight down to this plot, right? From bedding to food, he's just going straight down to the plot. You'd say that's the deer's normalized pattern. In other words, it's the pattern they take most of the time. So for Chuck Liddell, you might say that's the Interstate 100 as long as he's out the road before seven. <clears throat> that's what he's going to be doing. Traffic being Chuck's variable. Wind direction and thermal generation being the buck variable. <clears throat> now, let's say you have a south wind like this, right? Well, now what the buck does is he goes like this and he comes down to the food, right? Because he's scent checking the field as he's getting down there or something. I don't know, whatever you want to think the reason is. But now the machine is picking out, okay, there's a bit of a different wind. It's cloudy, so there's not a lot of thermal generation. And he's taking this pattern, which is not his normal pattern. So we're going to call it abnormal pattern. But he still does it 20% of the time. Okay, so now he's in this abnormal pattern state. And then there's, you know, an east, southeast wind that's coming like this, and um, or southwest wind that's coming like this. And the buck doesn't even feel like he can't loop and get down because there's a river. So now he's got no way to send check this field. So now he's not even hitting the field he normally hits, and he's somewhere else off on another property, right? And, and so that's like the case when you all see like, man, <clears throat> I get this great buck on my property, but I only see him every once in a while. Check the wind on those days. It's generally because the place that he normally goes, he can't get into because he can't send check it or it's not conducive to feed in. So he's hitting your property because your property is more accessible under the wind. So now the pattern, the pattern recognition device in the machine is saying that's a under these weather conditions, that's a super odd pattern, very abnormal pattern. And then it looks at every stinking deer that we've got collared deer data for. And it looks at all of those wind shifts and cloud cover and thermal generation shifts. <clears throat> and it assigns for your area, basically, what is the normalized pattern? What drives the deer out of a normalized pattern? And then what weather environmentals do we need to account for before we make that call? 
And it just so happens that those two things, wind and thermal generation, are two of like six big things that get a big vote on whether or not a deer is going to be on a normalized pattern. In other words, the pattern he takes most of the time, an abnormal pattern, which is a pattern he uses as a backup to get to food, um, or a very abnormal pattern. Does that make sense? It makes a hundred percent sense. And, and I guess what we're talking about more. So I guess, uh, for everybody listening, the is wind the biggest driver of that pattern. One of them. Yeah. But in the morning, uh, uh, in the morning, thermal generate, uh, cloud cover and the resulting heat index and the ability for the sun to warm an area and produce thermal generation. <clears throat> is also a big part of that just as much sometimes just as much a, a part of it as wind is so so basically but, um, it's it's scent cone scent stream is the driver uh, of how that. is this yeah how how are those things driving or how are the but also visibility has to do with it too which has to do with like how what's the mileage of visibility this day is it is there fog is it extremely windy deer have different places that they go when it's windy that can throw off pattern as well because it could be that there's a lot of foliage being held and that a particular deer just doesn't like walking that out when it's windy because it can't can't tell what is moving what is not moving. So it goes to a more open area where now it's just strictly relying on its nose and it's not getting freaked out by every moving thing around it. <clears throat> so there's a lot there that affects it. But yes, it's safe to say wind direction and velocity and cloud cover and heat index are like, you know, a big part of that. Um, and then to answer, I guess, like your last question before we get, forget about it is you had asked like, what's the best from a pattern. So it's for both things. It's kind of like, okay, where are you hunting? What do you know about the deer that you're hunting? <clears throat> right. And then what is your set? Like, are you hunting beds? Are you hunting transition? Are you hunting, um, uh, a food source that will drive what is important on movement, but then on, on pattern, it largely largely gets down to <clears throat> do you know what the deer generally do in other words if you glass a field for six weeks coming up to a season and you know that the deer always come in from like the western part of the field and you're diring that then you know that you have a normalized distribution like the, the that's the normal pattern for the deer but then you notice when it's a south wind you never see them in this field okay so that would be there's they're going somewhere else as a result of that so when, so basically what the what the prediction is saying is if the pattern is normal, then expect the deer to act in this area as they normally would. If it's not normal, then you need to either not hunt, you know, you need to pick your stand or your spot or your location accordingly. If you have the deer pattern in an area, maybe wait for a normalized pattern prediction to hunt that area and just go hunt somewhere else. <clears throat> yeah. That's what I do. I, th I, I think that this is great because the... I guess the thought process of, you know, in a, in a vacuum, in a bubble on paper, um, everything sounds like, okay, yeah, you know, Spartan Forge is going to tell you like where and when and how and blah, blah, blah. And then when you pull it up and you're like, okay, well, it says this and it says that, well, what does that mean? How does that correlate to, to deer? So like, and just so, uh, everybody that's listening, um, Bill with uh, 
Garrett Peral, DIY Sportsman, put out a very gr- good um, kind of like tutorial on the app and how to use it and, and kind of like the features and the things that are going on with the app. Um, but I think this is like way more in depth than saying like making it understandable, at least for me, because now it's like that very abnormal to me just means that like in terms of deer and wind, you would think, okay, well in the rut, you're going to have, you know, somewhat very abnormal, but if you think about it in terms of being, you know, scent and sight based, they're going to be doing what you want to want them to be doing. And I think that that's why many people are able to capitalize better during the rut than they are during like the early season, because we don't have these deer on pattern, but we know what deer are going to do in these certain uh, situations. So if I don't have a particular buck that I'm trying to kill, I think this is where bucks would be and they're going to be on their feet. And so for a guy that's looking for this specific buck on this specific time in the rut, it's going to suck for you as a bed hunter, hoping that that deer is going to get up out of his bed. If that's the only time that you have them now, early season, if you're saying, okay, well, I'm a bed hunter and we have a day that's a core area and a very normal pattern. Well, that's the day to get aggressive, go in there and set up, on what that deer does, what you've seen him do in the past. And if you have a very abnormal day, then as Bill had stated, you know, look at the wind and say it's probably a different wind and then either go somewhere else or figure out what that deer from your camera data or whatever has done on that day. And that would be how you would set up on him. I mean, yeah. right. That's a, that's a pretty good uh, rundown. And it all comes down to like, <clears throat> this app does not repl- replace burning leather. Like you still have to get out there and scout. You still have to understand. You still have to be sitting glassing fields. You still need to be journaling. You still need to be understanding things. Um, <clears throat> the only thing the app can do for you, for a person who doesn't do those things, and maybe you have a constraint like work where you can't be going and doing those things, is that I would wait for a high movement day, either during the rut, probably during the rut or, or prior, right before the rut, and then go sit some kind of pinch point or funnel. Right. And then just hope that they're moving early enough now that they have to use the, tra- they have to navigate the train in a way that it's being, they're being constrained. Um, and because the movement's high, um, you're hoping to catch them in a pinch point or something like that. But yeah, that's a pretty good rundown on all of that. And so now, like, that the app, so <laughs> this is one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is um, for people that are just hearing this and they're like, man, this sounds great. I need to go on Spartan Forge. I need to look at it. And like, as of right now today, or, you know, this podcast will come out in, in a few days from now, like they go to the app store and like pff, nothing like, so, Not a thing. so, so, uh, yeah, so sad. You guys, uh, you missed it. Um, we've been talking about it for a year and, uh, you missed your window. So sorry. But we'll Turn be back. back <laughs> yeah. So I can explain that very quickly. We had a, we did a beta test and essentially what a beta test is, it's just an opportunity to onboard an amount of users that you don't have contact to normally so that you can stress test the system and figure out from an architecture standpoint, you know, what are the problems here? Um, you think about it as you're building a house <clears throat> before you put the flooring down and you, and you know, you finish everything. You want to just try to, you know, test everything and get an inspector to come in. And look that you made, you know, the joists were putting in correctly. 
and that you have the right spacing on the walls, the electrical electricals all done up to code. Like that is a beta test essentially. Is that before you put the finishing, the you know the the walls on, and before you put the flooring in and everything, is making sure that everything is structurally in order. And that's the purpose of the beta test. It's just to bring on, you know, in, the, in our case, we wanted between five hundred and a thousand, and we more than doubled that. And oh, I thought it was going to take us like a weekend to get the numbers, and I think we had double that number of people that we needed within like five hours or six hours or something. That. So thank you for everyone's support that came up and signed on. And we ended up not pulling the plug on. We were going to pull the plug on the beta at 500 people. We thought that'd be enough. We're like, oh, there's so much excitement here. and We don't want a whole bunch of angry people. So let's just wait until the signups dwell down to something where it's like, you know, all right, now we're only getting like one or two an hour instead of, you know, 200 an hour. So we did that. And then the beta got turned off on Sunday night. And so what we're doing now is, we got all of these tickets from people. So the point of the beta was we're going to give it to them for $29.99. <clears throat> After the beta, it's going to be $39.99. And then we're going to have two features that will come out where I'll probably go up to like $49.99. And I'm hoping that's where we keep it at. But we gave the people access to the beta for $29.99 because when you sign up for a beta, you're basically saying, I'm willing to report errors as I see them and deal with a non-functioning app. Knowing that I'm going to be paying $29.99 for this app for the rest of my natural life if I want to, instead of, you know, $59 or $69, even if we add some other stuff next year, um, I'm always going to be paying this cheaper um, um, price. So we onboarded those people. And there was like, for instance, an Android bug <clears throat> that we couldn't figure out until we had enough people who were using Android. And we hadn't tested with like Pixel phones. And Pixel phones have this deal where they have a Chrome browser that's native on it that jacks with some of our code. We couldn't have known all of that until we onboarded all of those people. So like for like right before we texted, I just messaged the guy and let him know how he can get in now that we made this patch. Basically we took the code, we stopped the fielding of the of the program, we stopped giving people access. We took the code base as it was, we diagnosed the issues with these people that they had on these things, and we wrote bugs and fixes and then fixed the code and then we redeploy it and allow the user to upgrade their phone. So now the, 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 um, the application will work. So that's what we're doing right now is we're patching all of these things. And I think if I were a betting man, I'd say we're done in less than 10 days, um, maybe a week. And then at that point, we'll release a production version of the app and people can go sign up for the production version at that point. And, um, like right now we have rudimentary, like very um, rudimentary, um, property line data. We just wanted to put property line data in there because one of our pro staffers, Andy May, was like, hey, man, don't release this crap without property data. Don't do it. And I was like, okay, I mean, I, my point here is just to stress the system. Like, I'll get the property data on there. He's like, no, put property data on. All right, I'll do it. So we threw property data on there, but it needs to get a lot better. Um, right now, you just basically zoom in and you can see property lines. You can see names. But um, we have a couple of updates coming on property line and this other place. Um, this other functionality called Blue Source Tracker <clears throat> that we'll be um, releasing this year that I think people are really going to enjoy. So, you know, all the people that came on and did the beta test, and the, I think we only had maybe five or six percent of people that actually had issues. So, you know, all of those people are going to be getting you know a pretty cheap um, version of the out of the uh, Spartan Forge app for the rest of their life um, for helping us out. So, we certainly do appreciate them. So. On that note, just because you brought up property lines and I got notes and notes from people who are 
currently beta testers saying like, are they going to do this? Are they going to do this? This is, these are the things that we're seeing. So like Hit me. for, for property data, you know, some of the other uh, apps have like tax addresses. So if you want to contact the owners, um, you know, is that something that, you know, you guys are considering? Yeah. A lot of the areas do have tax addresses right now, or maybe it's just physical addresses. I can't remember what we loaded at any rate. We're going to have, um, yes, the tax address. I, I thought we had tax addresses from that data. I'll go back and look. Maybe it's physical address. Maybe I jacked something up, but I'm pretty sure we do. But anyway, yes, the intent is that there'll be um, on this next update before we go to production, before we actually release the app again, you will have highlighted public land and you will have names and <clears throat> tax addresses on the property. Um, and then in probably two weeks after production, they'll, you'll be able to click it, get a bottom sheet, and then you'll be able to mark your access to that land, like basically red, yellow, green, like I have access to this land, I don't, or I do. And then if the landowner changes, the whole land will highlight purple. Um, so that's like, you know, <clears throat> as we update who owns what properties, essentially say, say you go ask for access to a farm. And you get denied. So on the app, you click this property and you color it red so that you know you don't have access to it. <clears throat> if the property owner changes hands, it, that line will turn purple and you'll get an alert saying, go back and seek access there. You know, it's not the same guy who said no to you before. That's on my list. Um, one of the things that you just mentioned about the public lands definitely on my list. But one of the issues, not issues, one of the absolute benefits and you can get into like what's coming down the pike on this one as well um but uh one of the issues with i think it's probably every other uh mapping app out there is that the public lands when you turn on that filter or whatever on the other apps um it shades it all green and you guys have some of the the best imagery right now and you're working on even more and more and more imagery um is there a way to just are you going to just outline the public lands yep, in a certain color yeah it should be outlined it's just gonna we haven't decided on the color yet because we're actually doing that right finishing it up right now <clears throat> i think it's going to be i think it's going to be blue i think it's going to be a shade of blue like a very like a very like a teal or like a very uh noticeable blue will be surrounding it and that's going to be your indicator um, and we'll get into things later too, where you'll be able to sort by it, not on this release, but yeah, it'll be like a teal blue, um, surrounding that property and that'll be it. And let's talk about the imagery that you have right now. And then what you are working on, uh, what you have contracted and then users onboarding their own, uh, imagery if they would like. Yeah, so we, we, we've got a pretty good data, like a, a pretty good imagery set right now. In some places, it's not great. I'd say in, I'd say 20% of our imagery is not great. And I'd say <clears throat> probably between, I'd say 60% of it's really good. And another 20% that's just kind of like in between where it's not horrible, but it's not as good as some. Um, we're going to be doing some upgrades and over the next six months where that's going to all get a lot better. But in the meantime, we're also introducing a um, capability <clears throat> that I'm calling ISR right now. It might be called something different whenever it comes out. But essentially, you'll be able to draw a polygon on a map 
you will be able to submit a request and then the machine will come back and tell you, here's all of the dates of imagery I have going back, I think, to 2010. So you can like select the, all of the leaf off, like maybe you want like March or January imagery. So you get all of the leaf off crystal clear imagery. Um, you can select all of those. And, you know, I think <clears throat> I had ordered some for some public land that I hunt in West Virginia and I ordered it from, like March 1st. And I want to say the sector that I ordered it for was like maybe five or 600 acres. And I think I paid six bucks for it or something like that. So you'll be able to overlay that right over top um on a different layer of the map over that portion so that you can see you know leaf off imagery from an area or maybe see the land in a way that you've never seen it before or if you just happen to know that they logged the crap out of the land in the off season and none of the other imagery providers has the logged earth imagery you can go out and order it how are you able to do this when no one else is i mean it seems like like why isn't this available already I think, I mean, I don't know because I'm not in these companies. I've dealt with one of the mapping companies and I honestly believe they just have, I believe they just have captured audiences and that really doesn't give them an incentive to get better. I think if they can keep having the same <clears throat> people telling them that it's good and they pay those people a ton of money and it's kind of like a Yeti cooler, you know, they're great. You know, Yeti coolers are fine, but there are other Walmart brands out there that are just as good. Um, but people want Yeti and they want that on, you know, the top of the cooler sitting in the back of the truck because it looks cool. And I get that. You know, I wear stuff because you know, I got a John Deere hat on. So, you know, I get it. Um, but I think what happens when you have early actors in a market and you're, you get large, you don't really have an incentive to grow because there's no more healthy competition. So, you know, I anticipate that some of the stuff will get copied that I'm doing here um, just because they're going to react to market pressure where they're going to see people coming over to my application and they'll be like, okay, we'll do this. But, you know, you should think about an application that doesn't update until they have to <laughs> and say, is this where I want to be sticking my money? But I mean, um, I think that's one part of it. And then I think the other part of it is um, I don't think there are a lot of tech savvy people in the upper echelons of these organizations. And the people that try to convince them of that um, generally aren't listened to because it, it means spending R&D money when I could be selling, you know, I could be spending R&D money on creating a better shoe or I could just have Michael Jordan go out there and tell everyone to buy it. I think I'm going to stick my money in having Michael Jordan go out there because everyone seems to listen to that guy. <laughs> so if I can get whatever hunting personality, I'll pay him $5 million to go out there and do this instead of paying a data scientist $2 million to make the app better. Um, we see how the market works and that's generally how it's been. So that reminded me of one of the questions that I had and I don't have it written down here, but this is for me. And there is, a, I see a bit of, uh, copycatting going on already with, uh, I think Onyx is adding DeerCast or something along with theirs. Yep. Now for, you said you have, you know, X amount of people, very, very small amount that says like, all this does is everything that I'm already getting. How does Spartan Forge um, conflict? How does it line up? Have you, I mean, you have the unique ability to have all of the behind the scenes stuff for Spartan Forge, right? So you could literally take the DeerCast prediction and 
plug it in or pit it against your information on a huge scope level versus just a user saying, well, I saw this and I saw that. So uh, where is the, where's the major differences or uh, predictions or, or whatever? Yeah. I mean, so I won't speak specifically about one app, but I can say I've taken many apps and none of them predict above 20% in the real world. So when they are making their predictions, and I've seen some per se that they predict at like 80 or 90 or 95% accuracy. If you have a machine or a prediction system that can predict movement of anything at 95%, you need to take that thing to Las Vegas because mm-hmm. you that, that is an impossibility um, to say, I have a system that can predict animal movement at 95% uh, is just... And then when you look at the system and it says, look, you know, movement's going to be good at 3 p.m. today. And it's like, wait, you're telling me that every deer right now is going to start moving at 3 p.m. Like they got a clock or something like what? Like, so there's very good science. I encourage your users to go and look at it. That basically says deer don't move. I believe there's a good study and it's titled measuring fine scale movement of white tailed deer using high resolution GPS collars. And it was done by two buddies of mine. Um, at MSU, um, Bronson Strickland is one of the guys' name. And, uh, um, and, uh, basically what they did was they looked and said, do deer do anything at the same time? Um, or are, are they affected by short, like if the temperature just dips like a little bit or this happens or X, Y, and Z, do the deer just get up and start moving? And the answer is no. Um, which is why our system predicts in 24 hour intervals. Um, I, I'm not even sure I want, I'm, I think we're going to move to half days where we'll do a morning and an afternoon prediction. But when I look at the actual deer data, if a buck's moving a lot in the morning, he's probably going to be moving a lot in the afternoon. It's just how they are because he's got the bucks, got, the buck is moving more than he normally would because he's got one of two things happening. A, bu- a, do- a buck, a doe is an estrus. So he's trying to track that doe down. So he's moving a ton and he's not going to move more at three than he will less than two. He's just been moving. Or he's low on fat stores and he needs to feed voraciously in order to get his fat store to a level where he's not getting signaled from his brain um, that he's in a danger state where, you know, he might die from exhaustion or starvation or, um, or anything else. And you don't satisfy that. Anymore. You don't just move for an hour and then be satisfied and sit down. It's like, no, that buck's generally going to be moving more than he normally would throughout the year until that fat level goes back up. And all of the deer herd is affected generally in the same way by, uh, uh, you know, uh, shortages in food or drought or a bad crop one year or a bad acorn crop. So all of that needs to be taken into consideration when you're talking about when they're going to be moving in the future. And again, that's what you need a neural network for. So when people come up with these things that I call expert models, um, which basically says, hey, I've hunted for 40 years and I've been watching deer for 40 years and here's what I think they do. It's like, okay, well, what were they not doing when you weren't observing them? Or what were they doing 30 year- yards off when you couldn't see them on stand because you didn't place your stand in the right place or they figured out a way to beat you. And so now you're not seeing them until they hit the field or maybe they're not hitting the field until you've been out there. In other words, when a user is saying, this is what deer do, it's essentially you're, you're making the model subject to that person's own competence. And then secondly, their zone of impression. So in other words, 
Like if you get a deer expert model from someone who hunts in Northern Minnesota, yeah, it might, that might help you in Northern Minnesota. I can tell you damn sure it's not going to help you in Louisiana or South Carolina or New York or South Dakota or Texas for sure, where deer are just totally different on what gets them moving and what doesn't. So, um, I'm, I compare my model to actual deer data and I compare these other models to actual deer data. And I've never seen, I'm not going to call one out by name, but I've never seen any one of them when I'm actually physically looking at deer movement and then I'm measuring it and I'm getting predictions and I'm actually seeing what the deer are doing over that time period. I've never seen one of those things predict above 20%. And like what you're talking about is basically like a model that's based off of like confirmation bias. So it's because I saw it, it happen, but if I didn't see the deer, it means that they didn't move. Yeah. And your model can get thrown off by a wedding. <laughs> so if you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're not out there every day, every hour, the collar is on that buck from the moment it wakes up until it dies. I'm sorry. Until the moment it comes into the world until it dies or for two years of its life, or in some cases we have them for 12 years or eight years. Like there is no bias in that data. This, this, our model is not a Bill Thompson model. It is a buck and deer is a deer model. The deer made the movements that educated the pattern uh, and the movement prediction. There's nothing else there. Um, it's not my model. It's the, it's a deer, it's the deer's model. So I think like, like I said, in, in like all of my, uh, summaries and all of that, like, I think this has been great to like literally explain what we're talking about on a high level. And uh, I, in my mind, I'm thinking like, if I call this podcast, how to kill Chuck Liddell, how will it be received? Because that is, you know, <laughs> a, a large portion uh, of this. And I'm saying like, what, uh, who, who picks up on that? Um, but I mean, is there anything else about the like functionality or for the end user, like be it the beta tester and you know you and i kind of joked about you know you can't have a a a beta tester um in june and july because nobody's going to be out there trying to break the app and to to have it in the um in this time you're going to have a problem because they are beta testing right so right but but for the beta testers um, or the, the people who are using this, um, down the line, is there anything else that you think, um, is pertinent when, when viewing this information? Yeah. I mean, I think the whole app's permanent or uh, pertinent and I could talk about the whole thing. Like, um, you know, there's a journaling feature on there. I think everybody understands the value of journaling. So I won't get into that. You know, I think one of maybe the overlooked parts of this is, when people are doing their cyber scouting before they actually go out to burn boot leather and do their physical scouting, I think the polar plot is hugely, it's called a windrose, but it's presented in a polar plot on the app. And essentially what that's telling you is these are the predominant winds in this area over the last two weeks, four weeks, three months, or all time, you can just say January or February or whatever. So when you're going to go do boots on the ground and you're maybe scouting some place with some topography, and you want to know where the leeward places are, that polar plot is invaluable to telling you that. But also when you want to set up your stands, when you want to go in on a, maybe you're going in blind on a place you just drew a tag for, you just got access in. Um, that polar plot is um, hugely um, uh, 
influential or it should be on how hunters are making decisions in the woods. But then second to that, you know, we have um, for, for people that like to travel and hunt like I used to do before I started this company, um, having all of the Intel tab data telling you buck to doe ratios, number of hunters in the state, uh, you know, a number of deer in the population, how many are harvested by year, how many hunters are successful, what platforms are they successful by. Um, that having all of that information at your fingertips. And then also when you actually, maybe I've never been to Michigan, so now I'm going in there and I can actually look up and see what the plants are that deer browse on or the types of what the trees are that they find themselves in, or, you know, we're adding more stuff in there. So, uh, um, just having that there to kind of cut down your time so that you're spending more time with mama or you're spending more time with the kids at home. And you are able to make your scouting um, sessions a lot more efficient. Um, and you're able to get more intelligence when you're actually out there burning boot leather. I think all of those things are hugely important. And really the prediction for me is just, all right, now this is the big vacation day I'm going to burn because Friday I'm getting a high you know, amount of prediction and I'm the right wind that I have for stands that I pre-hung or for trees that I know I want to climb when I get in the woods, you know, all of the pieces have fallen into place. So um, that for me, you know, makes every part of the application um, valuable. And uh, <clears throat> and also, you know, just uh, uh, it's a time, I'm trying to make everyone's time much more efficient when they're planning. I'm not trying to take away the woodsmanship that's involved. You have to get out there. You have to scout. You have to know what, what, you know, prints are for bigger deer, for smaller deer. You need to look at what clipped vegetation looks like. You need to know deer trails, you know, scrapes and primaries versus secondary scrapes. All of that. Also, we have icons for all of those things. Like, you know, you know, bedding cell, you know, I, I would have, I would have cell cameras out and I, or I'd have bedding camera or too many, you know, when I was a hunt, when I was a hunting and I wasn't developing an application, you know, I have 30 cameras deployed. And then I'd forget like, crap, is this over bedding? Is this over a bedding area? Is this over a scrape? Is this over a primary scrape? Is this over a traditional rub? So I made sure all of those icons were in there because in some one area, I'd have like three things on the map where I'd have to put things in the notes. And so, you know, for me, it was just all of the little things that I wanted in an application that I wasn't getting from them out there are basically what I threw in here and we're putting a lot more in it. So, um, you know, the people who signed up now, I take it as a vote in our future capacity because um, there's so much more stuff coming that they're going to be glad they signed up for this beta. And so uh, just real quick, um, you had mentioned like you've got like tiers and things coming down, like what um, above and beyond everything that we've talked about this. I mean, it seems like, you know, like I said, uh, I asked you earlier, I've asked myself like, why aren't other companies doing this? And, and like, what is, um, you know, in a year or two years, like who is the competition um, at this point? But, but realistically, like, how are you improve uh, in your mind? Like, what do you have improvements that are coming down that you know of um, uh, right now for the, the user and those uh, tiers that are, are coming? Yeah, so I mean, last year we had talked about this wear feature that actually Garrett and I were testing earlier. Um, <clears throat> that's just not there yet. We're about maybe sixty percent of the way there on it. Um, I think by the end of the year this year we will be maybe putting it out there, but for sure the pro staff will be testing it. <clears throat> and essentially, all that thing is going to do is just going to highlight places on the map that you should go scout. 
some people are going to abuse it and try to hunt where it tells you to hunt. It's not going to tell you where to hunt. It's going to tell you where deer generally are going to be on a map. And so that's the where feature. Um, we'll be doing that towards the end of the year, hopefully. If not the end of the year, then we'll maybe we'll introduce it for like shed hunting season or something like that. But for sure by next year, it's just one of those things where there's too much I don't know about it. Um, I need more data and I'm getting more data all the time and it's getting closer all the time. But then, you know, we have the Blue Force Tracker. I can explain that very quickly. Say you and I hunt a lease together um, and the person who owns the lease can draw a polygon on our map. He can add our emails to it. And then anytime we go in there, he gets in a little alert. Any points that we drop on the ground, he'll be, they'll be visible to him. And then anybody else we add to the group will also get access to the points in there. You can re- The person who started the polygon can restrict some points. Say you're letting buddies hunt like your grandpa's 400 acres or something, and you have like your honey hole stand. If you're the owner, you can hide that honey hole stand, but otherwise everything else that gets done inside of that polygon will be shared among everyone. Or like for myself, I had a group of bug hunting buddies in Maryland, and we all hunted this big group state forest together. You can draw a polygon around the whole state forest. You add your buddies to it. And as you're scouting for each other, or if you're doing a hunt together, you can see where people are hunting inside of the polygon on the day of. So like when you're actually out there, you can be like, oh, he's over this place. He's over this way. And then for, you know, it's fun to have that information with your buddies, your close buddies when you're out hunting. But then also, you know, if, you know, Adam says he shoots a deer at 630 and we haven't heard from him in two hours, um, we know exactly where the last place he was when his phone registered, either before it went dead or maybe it's still on, hopefully, if he fell out of a stand or something. So there's a safety aspect there, too. And then <clears throat> there'll be an adoption for public land stuff, additional public land stuff next year for that. Then we have the ISR feature that we just talked about where you're going to be able to order the custom imagery. Um, And then we're doing some pretty neat stuff going forward um, with sensors and cameras and stuff like that in the future, which I won't get into today, but just know that there's uh, a ton cool stuff that we're looking to do as well. Um, And we're partnering with some pretty cool companies to, um, to, you know, really uh, um, uh, blow the lid off of, you know, that capability of the hunter and make sure they're able to optimize their time and be successful in the field while still maintaining a good work-life balance. Because <laughs> if they're anything like me, they've probably, you know, been divorced or a couple of girlfriends left or the kids say they hate them because they hunt too much or something. So anything I can help people with that is a good thing as well. So, um, I think we've covered like all the questions that I have and, um, you know, without throwing a, a, a ton of more stuff on here, rabbit holes or whatever. Um, I think that's perfect as far as like addressing all the problems or, you know, uh, hurdles that you had uh, launching and, you know, kind of explaining everything like to this point for the people, what the beta is, how everything is uh, moving forward and working. Um, and so normally we'd ask, um, you know, what's your bow set up, all of that uh, sort of stuff. But um, I'm going to switch it up on this one just a little bit, just because you had brought it up. Like, uh, I, I want to know, like, how did this uh, Scotland stag hunt uh, come about? And uh, I'm, I'm interested to hear about that. And I think, you know, we kind of got right to the nuts and bolts of it. So I think we'll close uh, out on that. Uh, yeah. Um, so, so we're going to, my girlfriend and I are going to go see her sister, and her sister's boyfriend and um he has some friends that ran an outfitter out there that they do like um, rifle stag hunts they're guided and um they had a a businessman i guess pulled out and they had like the tag and everything 
and they just needed like some, like I wasn't planning on hunting when I went out there. It's just going to go for a couple of weeks of vacation um, that I sorely need, believe it or not, even though I just retired from the military. Um, and uh, so he called me. He's like, hey, would you want this tag? It's it's out there and it's, they have nothing to do with it. And they, you know, it's going to go to waste. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I'll take that. So um, I'll be, I think on the 14th of October, I will be hopefully putting a spot in stock on a big old stag out in the highlands of Scotland. I absolutely mm-hmm. cannot wait. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a good time. And, uh, you know, I forgot to mention, I'll quickly mention it. Monitor our, mo- please monitor our Instagram. We're going to be announcing our veterans hunt pretty soon. That's going to be happening up in North central Pennsylvania. All of our pro staff is going to be up there. Any podcast, you know, uh, I'll accept the invite to you if you want to come up um, or come east. Um, we're going to be uh, hanging out in the cabin with our um, pro staffers and some winners on a giveaway um, to benefit, um, you know, wounded soldiers and their families. And uh, we've got some good sponsors. First Light, um, uh, well, let's see, First Light, Black Rifle Coffee, um, uh, a bunch of tethered a bunch of companies i'm not i can't think of off the top of my head because i'm exhausted right now but uh we're gonna be raising some money for vets and uh people that participate in the raffle for the veterans hunt all they gotta do is you know add their email to our email list and they'll be entered in for an opportunity to spend a week in hunting with andy andy may or uh you know lee from the seek one crew or uh um, garrett prawl or greg litzinger or johnny stewart you know people that i would have you know, knock someone's head off to hunt with a couple of years ago. And now we're all going to be spending a weekend together up in over Veterans Day weekend up there. And so um, we're going to do that to raise money and to create awareness for veterans and uh, hopefully cut a big check to the boot campaign that is uh, also participating in this. And uh, yeah, it's, I see it as a good way to be a selfish businessman and create awareness for my product, but also to benefit veterans. So that was a joke. So um but anyway, yeah, I really do hope that we can cut a really big check to this organization because if we don't raise as much money as I'd like to, it's probably going to be coming out of my pocket because I really want to see this thing do well. And so uh, uh, how is money being raised for the for the veterans hunt for the, the company? So the companies that are coming on board are all probably are all well, they're all writing checks as well. Um, and then some of our pro staffers are. And then we're going to open a donation so as people sign up for the drawing, they can also donate a couple of bucks. Um, and then um, all of that's going to be, you know, raffled together. And then we're going to do some like fun games and giveaways while we're there. They're going to raise money as well. We've got a couple of banger spots that we know we think are going to produce. So we might raffle one of those off while we're out there. Um, and so, you know, tons of fun stuff and tons of guys that we think are going to, um, uh, a couple of guys that are going to come out and spend the weekend too that have some money in their pockets that want to um, donate. So I'm hoping we can put a lot of money together and then we're going to create a bunch of videos and movies from it for next year's marketing campaign to do it all over again. And then hopefully next year we can raise even more money. And then also as a company, we're going to be doing 2% um, of all of our sales are going to go to this as well. Okay. Yeah. I was just l- looking to see what day it was because veterans day, you know, we're, we're like coming in on like, less than 30 days or 30 days, you know, right up on that away here, yeah. uh, pretty soon. So all that information is going to be available through your Instagram and, uh, yeah, it'll be getting put on the Instagram and then shout out to everyone who signed up over email. I'm thinking in the next two days. 
Okay. So, Perfect. Uh, the 6th or so of October. And then we're going to let that happen for a week and then we'll draw the winners after a week and then you'll get paired up with your pro staffer. Well, awesome, Bill. I really appreciate it. Where are people, you know, where can they follow along with Spartan Forge other than Instagram? What's going on on the, you know, should it be the website, uh, you know, get YouTube, anything yeah, like that? For our, our, yeah, they can sign up for our list on the website um, or they can uh, hit us up on Instagram. I think I, 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 I answer at least 30% of the messages on Instagram. So if you have questions for me, you just say, hey, question for Bill. Um, or if you want to just, you know, chew me out like a couple of other people have been doing over the last couple of days because they wanted a production app, you can do that as well. And I'm happy to, uh, to take that. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I'm just excited about, um, this, this, the rest of this year and doing some good stuff for veterans and hopefully putting some deer on the ground. Perfect. I love it. And, um, yeah, I guess that's all I've got for today. I had something else, but I can can't think of it right off the top of my head. So, um, appreciate the time and, uh, Oh, th- that's what it was. When is the app going to come back? Like, so, <laughs> Oh yeah. So, so we actually have worked out two of our biggest bugs already and we put out dates up tonight. And so that there's emails going out to the users right now. One of the guys just, um, one of the guys I was talking to before we called just said, great. I just got in for the first time. Love it. So it's a good message to get. So, um, uh, you know, conservatively I'll say 10 days. Okay. Awesome. So by the rut, and especially if you're down south, as the ruts go forever, I mean, up here in Michigan. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so. For sure by the ruts. I think the earliest ruts are somewhere around 23 October. And we'll definitely be in, I would say by the 15th of October, it's a good bet. But don't hold my word because God knows what Apple could or could not approve between now and then. So I will be pushing code for Apple to approve in the next seven days. Let's put it that Awesome. Well, I think that's all I've got for tonight for the podcast, Bill. I really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you for your time. Thank you so much.